I'm reading from Genesis chapter 47, beginning with verse 29. And the time drew nigh that Israel must die. And he called his son Joseph and said unto him, If now I have found grace in thy sight, put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh, and deal kindly and truly with me. Bury me not, I pray thee, in Egypt, but I will lie with my fathers, and thou shalt carry me out of Egypt, and bury me in their burying place. And he said, I will do as thou hast said. And he said, Swear unto me. And he swore unto him. And Israel bowed himself upon the bed's head. Turn over to chapter 49, read verse 33 with me. And when Jacob had made an end of commanding his sons, he gathered up his feet into the bed and yielded up the ghost and was gathered unto his people. You may be seated. This is the fourth in a series of sermons that I have preached about the life of Jacob, very likely the last one for the time being. I thought each would be the last. Genesis 28 afforded our Bible-studied background on the place of God's will. In chapter 35, I preached the sermon, Jacob wrestled with God. From chapter 35 and verse 1, the sermon entitled, Go Up to Bethel. Now, Jacob had been a deceiver, a supplanter. His name, Jacob, meant supplanter. He needed what we all need, an encounter with God to keep the carnal nature and the fleshly nature from overpowering the spiritual and things coming across that injure, injure other people and bring difficulties. So God had to meet with Jacob on a regular occasion to keep his life in order. He met God, as we read in chapter 28. He had this tremendous encounter, leaving home, fleeing from Esau's wrath, who was trying to kill him, leaving his mom and dad back home, headed out across the desert towards Haran. And that night, in his vision, he saw this ladder, angels ascending and descending on it, God standing above the top. Tremendous experience that he called the name of the place Bethel. God promised him, I'll be with you and I'll bring you back. He journeyed on into Haran, and there he found a land of idols and false gods. He worked 20 long years in Haran for his uncle Laban. He had his wages changed 10 times. He worked seven year, years each for Rachel and for Leah, a total of 14 years, to marry Laban's two daughters. He was deceived when he found out that the first wife that he took was not indeed Rachel, but Leah. He met God on the way back from Haran to Canaan. And there God again gave him a tremendous encounter and experience. He made peace with Esau, reconciled their differences, and he returned into his homeland, the land of Canaan, and established himself there. His sons angered the inhabitants of the Canaanite nations by wiping out all the men of an entire city after they violated their sister, his sister. And God said, Jacob, 
it's time for you to go back to the altar. That's the sermon I preached last Sunday. Go up to Bethel. He went back to Bethel, had another encounter with God. God met him again. He renewed his vows there. And now we find following that, the ensuing chapters that you can read for yourself, Jacob's days of sorrow and heartache. Jacob invited a lot of his difficulties and trouble. He had a son in his old age by the name of Joseph. He loved this son more than others. And any time you show partiality in the family, you're inviting trouble. He made him a coat of many colors. And in fact, this man was gifted. Joseph was a gifted young man. He had dreams. And he made the mistake of telling his dreams to his brothers. Sometimes when God shows you something, it doesn't mean that you're supposed to go blab it everywhere. There are some things God reveals to you for the future, and you do well to wait and bide your time and let God lead you about revealing that to other people because when he revealed it to his brothers made him angry even his father and mother were turned against him and in the dreams the interpretation was that his father and mother would bow before him his brothers would bow down and serve him and they could hardly believe their ears it all came to pass nevertheless but Jacob I mean Joseph did not use wisdom in telling about the dreams at that time his brothers, angry with Joseph, decided to kill him. One day he came out to the fields where they, as shepherds, were watching the flock. And so they said, let's get rid of this guy. He's a troublemaker. And that way, there won't be partiality in our family. Finally, they decided, well, instead of murdering him, let's put him in this pit here and decide what to do with him. Finally, the Ishmaelites came along. They said, be well. We'll get a little pocket change here. We'll sell him for a slave. They sold him to the Ishmaelites then conceived a plan to deceive Jacob. The deceiver now is going to get deceived. And so they took his coat of many colors, killed an animal, dipped it in the blood, took it back after tearing it a little bit and put it in Jacob's hand and said, this we found. We don't know what became of Joseph. It's true they didn't know where he was at this time because he was on his way to Egypt, almost there by now. And Jacob assumed the worst. He thought, surely my son has been murdered or my son has been killed by some wild animals, and his heart was broken. You see, the man who had been a supplanter, the man who was a rascal, a rogue, a man who was a deceiver, even deceived his blind father, now is getting a taste of his medicine. It's coming back to him. It has been said the chickens always come home to roost. Well, a famine arose in the land and a long drought in Canaan, and there was no corn. Down in Egypt, God brought Joseph out of prison. He interpreted the Pharaoh's dreams. And Joseph was elevated to be over all the land, second only to Pharaoh. When he revealed the truth that the dream meant seven years of plenty and then seven years of drought. They stored up the corn during the seven years of plenty. And during the years of drought, they'd be able to sell so the people would not die of starvation. Jacob learned of this. And he sent his sons down to buy corn to bring back up into Canaan to sustain his family. Finally, when Joseph recognized his brothers and on another subsequent occasion revealed himself to his brothers, he said, I'm going to keep one of you here. You go back and bring my father down into Egypt because there's still going to be a long time in this drought. And so Jacob was brought to Egypt. Jacob is old now. He doesn't make up his own mind completely about what to do. 
Becoming old imposes certain restrictions and responsibilities, and you have to lean upon someone else. Oftentimes, and Jacob had to now say, sons, you know what's best. I'll go with you. Things change as you get older. I called my barber this week, told him I needed a haircut, and he said, well, come on, I won't charge you anything for the haircut. I'll just charge you a finder's fee. <laughs> Things really change when you get older. <laughs> really hurt my feelings. But with Jacob, now then he had to succumb to this. He didn't want to go to Egypt, but they said, Joseph is down there. They convinced him, I'm going. And then when I've seen my boy, then I'll be ready to die. In chapter 47 and verse 29, Jacob said to Joseph, the time drew near that Israel must die. Now then for Jacob, this was no time for games. This was no time for deception. This was no time for make-believe. This is real. The graves are waiting for me. Jacob must guess, get his house in order. He's not long for this world. The time is nigh that I must die. For some in this room, that might not be too distant in the future. For us, the clock of life keeps running. You can't even turn it back one hour. You did not prolong your life today by turning your clock back one hour. The Bible teaches us there's an appointed time to die. Hebrews 9, 27 says, For it is appointed unto men once to die, and then after that the judgment. I believe that it is possible for us to prolong our life by living by God's commandments and God being merciful and extending it if He pleases to do so. Or I believe that if He doesn't please to do so, I believe we could even shorten our lifespan. You hear people talk about, well, when it's His time, He'll go, and the reason he didn't die, it just wasn't his time. Now, you don't believe that. When I leave out of this parking lot today, I will not close my eyes when I pull out on Ramona. And when I get to the intersection at Lane Avenue, if the light is red, I will wait until it turns green because I don't want to die before my time. When the Lord calls me, I want to go, but I don't want to die before my time. So people say, well, it just wasn't his time. You would not sit down on a railroad track believing that philosophy because you would surely die before your time. And if you feel there's something wrong with you, you will do your best to, to live out whatever number of years the Lord. And I believe it's wonderful when persons believe that it's near their time and like Jacob, they can start making preparation. And they're not afraid of it. They even value that released from this world into a better world. It will be a grand transport when the Lord takes us to our heavenly home. But we can't set the clock of time back in it to prolong our life. Jacob was not afraid to die. He was not afraid. He mentioned it several times in chapter 46 and verse 30. He said to Joseph, Now let me die for I have seen thy face. In chapter 47 and verse 29, I have, 
Israel must die. Bury me not in Egypt. Then in chapter 47, verse 30, I will lie with my fathers. Carry me out of Egypt. Chapter 48, verse 21, Behold, I die. Chapter 49, verse 29, I am to be gathered unto my people. Bury me with my fathers. This man was not afraid of death. He made his own funeral arrangements. My wife and I have already bought our cemetery plots. There's nothing wrong with that. It's not a lack of faith. There's something that Gary and Kay will have to do when we go. Every once in a while, I never tell my wife, but I sneak out there and drive past it and look over there and think, that's where I'm, they're going to put me when I'm gone. <laughs> this man made his own funeral arrangements. His was a burial. Now, the question comes up frequently, is it wrong to be cremated? People ask me this constantly. In fact, it was asked in the last few days. Cremation may not be wrong. Provided there's nothing pagan connected with it. Some people believe that cremation will avoid certain inevitable things about the judgment and so they choose to be cremated. That's foolish. Burial could be just as unchristian because some people have pagan forms of burial and they involve certain activities that certainly you will never have over my grave. No siree. Because, in fact, see, I've written out my funeral arrangements. I'm not leaving it to chance. <laughs> or to Pauline. <laughs> the biblical pattern was burial. And so while I don't have a problem with cremation, or I, I, I think the testimony, that's the way Jesus was. He was buried. He was stuck in a hole in a rock. They didn't cremate him. Well, what about all these people that are cremated? God wouldn't have a problem with that. If people are in a... 10-story building and it burns down and 100 people burn to death and you can't even find anything left of their bodies, God will get them all together on the resurrection day. If a person is blown up in a space shuttle explosion, as has been the case, if they were Christians, everything's okay. If a person's in a big ship and it goes to the bottom of the sea, God will find them on resurrection day. He doesn't have a problem with that. But Jacob made out a will. He had 12 sons. They're all mentioned in chapter 49, verses 3 through 28, where he made his will out. Here's his will. He made a will to Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Zebulun, Issachar, Dan, Gad, Asher, Naphtali, Joseph, and they picked Leroy. <laughs> in verse 28, here's Jacob's will. All these are the twelve tribes of Israel. And this is that their father spake unto them and blessed them. Every one according to his blessing, he blessed them. He par parceled out his wealth, his belonging, everything to each one as he felt that they would be capable of using it to the glory of God. There are many people who die intestate without a will. And the state makes their will when they die. Much of their estate, their hard-earned money, goes in attorney fees and probate costs. And what they work so hard for day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, now then is consumed by the state to support abortion or whatever they decide to support with it. 
whatever a rich attorney would spend his money for. That's the lifestyle that a lot of Christian people support at the time of their death because they refuse to make out a will. They don't want to talk about death. They're afraid to talk about death. And they'll never go to an attorney. Well, I believe there's a responsibility involved in certain matters like that. In common disasters where a young mother and dad are both killed in an automobile accident, the state will decide who will raise their children. It will not necessarily be the grandparents. It will not necessarily be anyone of kin to that family. The state has the power to decide. And there again, reason why Christian people should provide a will. There is such a thing as people not being afraid to die, but being ready to die and making such preparations. Jacob did that when he said, don't bury me in Egypt. I want my burial to be a testimony. I want my burial to be an act of faith in what God told me, that he was going to give the land of Canaan to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and to their seed, and to their seed, seed, and they would be multiplied as the stars of heaven that cannot be numbered and the sands of the seashore that cannot be numbered. Don't bury me in Egypt, for that would indicate that I do not believe the promise of God. Take me back to Canaan. Bury me in the land of my fathers, in the sepulcher, in the graves of my fathers. Egypt was a land of false gods and heathen customs. And he said, I want my burial to be one of Christian testimony. I want it to exhibit faith in the power of God to keep his word. Bury me with my fathers. Bury me with Abraham, who was a friend of God. Bury me with Isaac, who dug the wells that his father had dug and reopened those wells to establish that testimony. Bury me where Sarah and Rebekah were buried. Take me back to Canaan. Carry me out of Egypt. I think there's something here that we need to establish about leaving a Christian legacy so that our children, we may not have 12 sons, but whether or not you have any children, you need to leave a Christian testimony so that people will believe that your life on this earth was something that is worthy of aspiring to and to uh, be a testimony to other people so that they could walk in your footsteps and not go astray. So he said in chapter 47, verse 30, I will lie with my fathers. Carry me out of Egypt. Don't put me in that pyramid. Don't put me in that tomb with any of the pharaohs or any close kin of theirs. Take me back to the land where people believe in God. Take me back where they believe in the Messiah that's coming one day. Take me back to the God of promise that I met out there the land called Bethel. And God revealed himself to me. In verse 29 of chapter 47, he said to Joseph, If I have found grace in thy sight, put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh, and deal kindly and truly with me. Bury me not in Egypt. He asked Joseph to swear to him on his dying bed, Put your hands upon my thighs. And make this covenant with me that you won't let me be buried in Egypt. This made an impression on Joseph. When he died, he says, put my bones in a coffin. 
But when God visits you and takes you out of this land back to the land of Canaan, take my bones back there where they buried my father. I believe that you can leave behind a witness that down the road somewhere that hardened heart that has been stubborn and rebellious, that prodigal that has said, I want my way, I'm not going to follow mom and dad and be in this old-fashioned business of religion. I'm going to have my fun. I'm going to have it my way for a while. But even when you're in your grave, I've asked for a little line to be on my tombstone. Just these words, a servant of God. A servant. Just somebody that worked for him. Somebody that labored for him. That's all the honor I want. Just a servant of God. I've asked that the songs that be sung, that will be sung at my funeral be the kind of songs that will leave a testimony. I've picked out a lot of them. I, I want a service. Don't you plan to come for a little short thing when you come to my funeral because I want the choir to sing. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> Jacob believed in God's promises. And he says, don't bury me down in this land of Egypt. There is such a thing as faith to live by and faith to die by. Jacob had faith to die by. In chapter 48 and verse 21, he said to Joseph, Israel said unto Joseph, behold, I die. But God shall be with you and bring you again into the land of your fathers. Listen to this. Jacob said, behold, I die. But God isn't. <laughs> he ain't. I'm going to die, but God is not going to die. Behold, I die, but God shall be with you. I'm going to leave you. I won't be the head of this clan anymore. But God will be here. He's going to abide faithful. And the God that met me out there at Bethel the God that was with me on my journey, he will be with you and bring you again into the land of your fathers. Somehow Jacob had an inkling. This pilgrimage down into Egypt was not going to be a short thing. It wasn't. It lasted 430 years. 430 years later, this prophecy came true. When this man was dead and in his grave, Close to 400 years he was dead and in his grave because he only spent 17 years in Egypt. So 413 years later, these words were fulfilled. God will be with you and bring you again into the land of your fathers. And there was something about that prophetic truth that motivated a man on the backside of the desert who was moved by a bush on fire to say that God is real and God appeared to him. He went back and said, Pharaoh, let my people go because they've got to get back to the land of their fathers. Jacob said it and God is visiting his people. Friends, there are certain things that are going to happen if God has to move heaven and earth to bring it to pass. Jacob believed in the God of Bethel and he said, I'm going to die, but God is not going to die. One small leaf fluttering in the autumn wind will not shake the mighty Adirondack Mountains. One man named jo Jacob going to his grave at the age of 400 and 
Well, I forget his exact, no, he was not 400, he was 130 years old, I believe. At any rate, that would not shake the kingdom of God and break God's covenant with his people. Indeed not. God is still alive. For Jacob, it would be the end of a long, long journey. In Genesis 49 and verse 33, the Bible says, When Jacob had made an end, there comes a time when you have breathed your last breath, you have performed your last deed, you have written your last check, you have eaten your last meal, you have given your last piece of advice, and now there's an end. It's the end of a long, long journey. For Jacob, he made an end. He made an end of commanding his sons. He gave them his last instruction, wrote out his will. He gathered up his feet into the bed. He yielded up the ghost and was gathered unto his people. Like that, he gathered up his feet into his bed. You see, he had something to do with his death. He decided this is it. God's revealed to him and my time's come. So he pulled his feet up into his bed. These feet that would never trek across another barren desert, that would never feel the burning sands again, these feet would never enter into a, a hostile land where Laban would change his wages ten times. These feet would not have to run from Esau anymore. These feet were being gathered up into his bed as he yielded up to the ghost to God. He would be gathered unto his people. He would go to be with Abraham and Isaac. He would go to be with Rebekah and Sarah. He would go to be with every person of faith that had ever preceded him in this journey of death into the unknown. No more running, no more hiding, no more adventures. Now he's going to enter into that real world of the eternal. The Bible says he yielded up the ghost and was gathered unto his people. What happens when a person dies is this. The spirit and the soul leaves the body. He yielded up the ghost, meaning his spirit and soul went up to be with God and went to paradise. How is it with you today? What will happen? How will you die? What is your determination? You're living in Egypt's bondage. You're associated with many forms that are not in this book. You're not living the kind of life that you can say, it's my time, I want to leave my last will and testament. Not like the man that spent it all, but he said, I want to leave some. I want to leave behind some waymarks, some milestones, some pointers that will guide my family to a better world. When you die, can it be said, that was a Christian man. Or woman. They're going to paradise. They're going to heaven. When you die, will you leave a Christian witness? Have you made any arrangements for that time so as to confirm the fact that you're a person of faith?